Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room. That's right. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss X-Men number 98, the April 1976 issue, I think. Are we at 76 yet? I don't even know. <laughs> Still only 25 cents. Thank goodness. We should talk about the intro that we just played. Uh, that, that was by Christopher Sanderson. Yes, thank you, Christopher Sanderson. Uh, and he did. He put. He took the challenge uh, way back uh, in the giant-sized podcast that Adam and I did, the free-for-all kind of for the fans, a little bit for us podcast. We we put the challenge out there saying, uh, make us an intro song and and make us any song, an outro song, or uh, even a song that would introduce the classic X Men titles. And uh, Chris took up the challenge and made that piece of music for us, uh, and uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, also, you don't have to do a song. You could just do the intro. Whatever you want to do. That's right. The challenge is out there. You could literally be Adam and Jeremy for all that would give you. Uh, it doesn't pay much. Let's just put it that way. Not, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, thank you. And that's, that's uh, just, it's, it's so cool when a fan does something like that for you. So, absolutely. I'm a fan of our fans. I am too. <laughs> So uh, this is still the all-new, all-different X-Men, and on the cover of this, we have Sentinels. The Sentinels are back, Nuff said. There's X-Men flying all over the place, and and Sentinels on top of a giant building, and green bubbly stuff surrounding them for some reason. Again, I'm not impressed with Dave Cockrum's covers. He's... He's just not a cover artist. He doesn't. He just like he doesn't know what he doesn't know how to make these dynamic. Sentinel looks like Cyclops is is playing with Cyclops as a doll. Yeah. Storm isn't even looking where she's shooting. Nightcrawler is scaling the building, a la Spider Man or Beast. Yeah. Does he do that? <laughs> I don't think so. He's also given a backhand to Colossus, who is falling towards us, the audience. I mean, it's. Yeah, I don't know. If it's 1976 and I see this title and I'm familiar with the X-Men lore, I'm probably like, oh, man, Sentinels! Right. If I'm a New Time fan, I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe you're right. I'm not impressed. That's all I'm saying. I do like Wolverine up there, though, hacking and slashing at the Sentinel's head. That's kind of cool. He blows up the guy's head, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. He, like, rips the, the whole section of the head off. So we open up this book, and uh, and we here we come to our title, which I forgot to mention, which is uh, "Merry Christmas, X Men." Dot dot dot. Merry Xmas is a text message. Merry Xmas is a text message. But you laid by the two. They're 
doing a Christmas issue in April, but hey, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's the X-verse, so who cares? This title is written by Chris Claremont, drawn by Dave Cockrum, inked by Sam Granger, and you got Joe Rosen uh, doing the lettering, Janice Cohen doing the coloring, and Marv Wolfman still editing for us. And the first page is a splash page, and we see... Nightcrawler with his image inducer. You've also got uh, Colossus, who's wearing a nice little hat. Storm, Jean Grey is out. Uh, Scott and Banshee, Sean Cassidy. Presumably talking to Moira McTaggart. Yes, and there's a guy in the foreground with these really wispy, weird things on his hair and some mutton chops. And, and Nick Fury, it looks like, is in the crowd. Oh, yeah? In the in the foreground there with the blonde hair? No, to the to the right, the guy with the eye patch. <laughs> it totally is, and it's the girl. Uh, what's her name? I think she was in one of the Avengers stories where S.H.I.E.L.D. helped Captain America. Oh, you mean one of the ones we've done? I think so. I might be wrong. I didn't even notice that, Adam. That's funny. What I want to know is if you look at all the people that are ice skating, who's the guy with the cape? <laughs> Magneto. Yeah, that's what I thought. It looks like Magneto. <laughs> Magneto's ice skating in the background. Well, okay, so that's a great question, but I want to like just tag up on the last issue. Like, didn't Scott and his brother and Scott's brother's girlfriend get kidnapped by a man who is wearing a costume that Scott Summers used to wear? Yeah, that's what happened. And weren't they attacking the professor who was on his way on vacation? Yep, he got away. Why Why are all of the X-Men celebrating in Times Square this whole Christmas scene when crazy things are afoot? And not only that, I think the narration tells us that it's been like a couple of months. Um, geez, I guess they're, it's Christmas. Christmas just, just overwhelmed them. I want to know, in the left-hand side, There's a. it says JV-157. Any idea what that means? The left-hand side, J. Yeah, it's, a, it's along the panel. Oh, I have no idea what that is. It must be a re- Jesus uh, <laughs> versus 157. I have no idea what that is. Listeners, does JV157 mean anything? I, I don't know. Uh, Wolverine once again a no show. Um, probably at back at the uh, back at the lab in his costume sulking. Probably like those dirty X Men didn't want to take me on their Christmas escapades. I love Christmas. Uh, so, anyways, uh, Marvel or Jean Grey, she's talking to the everybody. Oh, can you believe it's Christmas? It's a white Christmas for the first time in years. New York's got itself a real, honest to goodness, white Christmas. Isn't it beautiful, Aurora? <laughs> He's really happy. <laughs> she's very adamant that everybody enjoy this Christmas. And and Storm, she's kind of like, well, it's, you know, it's not without its charm. It's all right. Yeah, and Jean's like, oh, boy, you're almost as bad as Scott. And I'm slightly attracted to you now. <laughs> you should see what I have to go through to get him to let his hair down once in a while. <laughs> so are we to presume at this point that... Uh, Jean Grey is is a member of the X-Men or just hanging out with them or she was in last issue too so she's she's at least a main character if not a member it seems sure I think who knows is she back we haven't seen her in costume yet so maybe maybe not 
I guess I would assume that she's just hanging out with them. I mean, I think uh, the other X-Men, Beast, Angel, and um, Iceman, they're off doing other superhero things, aren't they? I mean, Beast is an Avenger, I believe. Yes, uh, Beast is an Avenger, and uh, Iceman and Angel are champions. Yeah, champs. So they all went and joined other superhero teams, and Marvel Girl's kind of like, Oh, man, living with Misty's boring. (laughs) She she doesn't really live with Misty. We only know that from the classic adventures. Oh, good point. We know those didn't happen. Yeah, so we we actually have no idea where she's been this whole time. Uh, But she hasn't been doing any superheroing. But uh, anyhow... So, yeah, the X-Men are, are talking about Christmas and stuff. There are two attractive women that have caught the eye of Kurt Wagner and Piotr Rasputin. He says, Auf Wiedersehen, mein Freund, to his pals, which means goodbye, my friends. Yep. Don't hear from us again. Don't worry. Merry Christmas all. He's pretty confident. Auf Wiedersehen means until we meet again or something like that. I just learned that because I watched Django Unchained, and there's a nice line in there where he goes, I would say a fitter saying to you, which literally translates to, till we meet again, but we shall not. Oh. And then the dude gets shot. Spoilers. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> the brunette refers to the blonde as Amanda. Do you know who this Amanda is, Adam? Oh, I do, but I don't remember. Okay. Well, anyways, it's neat, I think. It's either a nice coincidence that uh, Chris Claremont put her in there, or he was building to something, or much later in X-Men Lawyers, like, I think Kurt was into an Amanda. Let's put her back in the story. (laughs) I don't know which. What about Betsy? Is that Betsy? I don't know who Betsy is. I I don't know either. I'm not sure that she comes back. She says, Betsy, dear, do you hear me screaming for a cop? Oh, these two girls think that these two guys are a little on the hunky side. Mm-hmm. And then that's when uh, Banshee and Moira, who are clearly an item at this point, disappear. And on that note, me boyos, Moira and I will be moving on ourselves. Yep, so they're going to go see the sights with one another. And that's when somebody refers to this spiky-haired guy as, what about you, Wolverine? Oh, wait, what? what? <laughs> Hang on a second. What about me, Miss Miss Gray? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I got no use for Christmas. I I got no use for Christmas. (laughs) So Wolverine's first full-on headshot here is pretty much as you would expect. He's got the the little uh, wolf spikes or whatever you want to call them. He's got the mutton chops. He's smoking a cigarette, not a cigar. Uh, But he's got this widow's peak that goes from his forehead (laughs) down to the top of the bridge of his nose. It's pretty bad. That's an amazing widow's peak. So I guess what we're seeing is that through the years, uh, Wolverine, despite his healing power, which we don't know about yet, uh, suffers from male pattern pattern baldness. (laughs) It would would appear so. But, you know, that's for the better. You know, if I had a widow's peak that went down there, I'd be praying for some baldness. (laughs) I guess we have to retire our 19-year-old Wolverine voice. No. Goodbye, folks. Welcome to the new dawn of Wolverine. (laughs) And so Cyclops and uh, Marvel Girl comment about how strange that man is. And he says, we've been together almost a year, and I'm I'm still not sure he'll work out. So these X-Men, what is it? It's been four issues? Four issues. That is covered an entire year. Well, I guess it's bi-monthly. Yeah, so it's eight months of real time. 
Yeah. But then I was sure about Alex and Lorna, and they tried to kill us. What? <laughs> that's what. That's what. That's how we're going to address that. And then Gene is like, "Oh, stop it! It's Christmas. I mean, it's not like uh, Havoc came in and ruined Thanksgiving by like <laughs> leaving early. He literally tried to kill uh, Marvel Girl and Cyclops, and then he got flown away by a mystery man who was wearing Cyclops's old costume, like." You don't just, like, ah, oh, yeah, just stop it. Let it go. <laughs> it's almost like like this issue was written a year after the past issue, where they're just picking up threads, but they're kind of confused. You know, it's it's like when uh, Roy Thomas picked up from Arnold Drake in the middle of the, the, the introduction of Havoc. It, there was all these weird inconsistencies. Yeah, but this is Chris Claremont. I mean, he, he's got full, full, full reins here, I think. I don't know. I think maybe there are two Chris Claremonts. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, Gene does say you've been tearing yourself about Alex oh, uh, for weeks. So it's been weeks since the last episode. Apparently they are fine with wherever the professor is. Yeah. He got away, so nobody knows. No harm, no foul. It's not like uh, Eric the Red, Alex, and Polaris would go looking for the, the, the professor <laughs> or anything. No, no. Let's let's celebrate Christmas. And I mean, wouldn't they call the professor and be like, Professor, did you see that airplane that blew up behind you as you were flying off to wherever you're going? <laughs> you might want to come home because there's three people that wanted to kill you that are still at large. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. You have a valid point. Some people will call me nitpicky, but for this, I think I have points. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marvel Girl brushes all that aside and says, Didn't you hear me, you big long eye? said, kiss me. <laughs> okay. Gene, I, I, And then we get this silly little back and forth from a man named Stan and a man named Jack. Hey, Stan, you know who they were? I tell you. They never used to do that when we had the book. Ah, uh, Jack, you know these kids, they ain't got no respect. And that's it. Yes. Presumably this is uh, Jack Harkness and Stan <laughs> Wiedelman. Sure, who's Stan Wiedelman? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And they don't look like any Stan and Jack that I know, but that's it. That's their little cameo. I wonder if uh, Marv Wolfman was like, Chris... You got to put Stan and Jack in the comic book. I don't know. I mean, uh, Arnold Painter, one of our listeners, pointed out that there were uh, some people in the theater scene. Arthur Painter. Giant side. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I said Arnold Drake earlier, so now I'm thinking. You got Arnold on the brain. Yeah. Um, he pointed out that there were uh, some some of the creators in Giant Size. You're right. Yep. So it's uh, maybe it's just a thing that Marvel does all the time. They were in those that issues with Beast that we did. Yeah, I was just going to say that. So maybe that's like what they did in the 70s. But uh, oh, you know what? We'll have to keep reading. I bet you they refer to themselves in the 80s as well. I bet they still do it today. You're probably right. So I guess Cyclops, or I mean Scott and Gene, have reservations to a restaurant, looks like anyways. I got to say that Gene is wearing a lovely back uh, black number where the back is very low cut. Yes. Yeah, she is not wearing a bra. <laughs> well, there's no straps anyways. Do you love me, Scott? Do I? Yes. I love you. I'm glad. <laughs> so I guess what we're doing here, and I'm fine with this. This is fantastic. Like, we kind of said it back in the um, 
uh, Roy Thomas story where they said, we wasted so much time and now we're together. And like, that was it. Like they never, I don't think they kissed. They didn't, you know, nothing happened. And so now Chris is like, they're together. Do you get it? They're together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But not for long because something huge is outside tearing at the roof. What? Oh my God, no. It can't be them. Not them. But it is. Prepare to face your doom, mutant four. The Sentinels have returned, says a Sentinel for no apparent reason. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, a Sentinel, have returned. The Sentinels have returned. Did they know that they were gone? They're robots. I feel like they did that, though, in the last time when What's-His-Face, the boy. Yes, it's it's definitely true. They they do have the art of conversation for some reason. <laughs> I mean, I feel like when they captured Beast, or no, when they first captured uh, Lorna Dane, they busted through and they're like, you have nowhere to run for the Sentinels are here or something stupid like that. The Sentinels have returned again. <laughs> so let's just chalk it up to like, uh, no matter how you program a Sentinel, it always feels the need to introduce itself. <laughs> <laughs> the main mission programming requires the capture of mutant entities, Cyclops and Marvel Girl. They're equipped to negate the powers of all the X-Men. But Marvel Girl points out, what if he's referring to the old X-Men, the ones they fought back in 1969? Well, why would you assume that he was talking about the new X-Men? Right, right. I think that's, uh, you're right. I mean, this is obviously for us, the reader, and not for right. Cyclops' well, I, guess, I guess if if the new X-Men have been around for a year, maybe yeah. they've made headlines. Yeah, maybe. You know, I guess I would keep this to myself. That's like your ace in the hole, you know? Like, yeah. if you've got a whole team of people that the Sentinels don't know about, maybe you want to keep your mouth shut. You'd be like, you can try to take us, Sentinel, but we'll use our power. Oh, you caught us. And then all of a sudden, Colossus, like, breaks all their legs. And then... Right. Yeah. But anyway, she spills the beans. And also, it turns out that Marvel Girl is more powerful with her telekinetic powers than she used to be. Which is very convenient, because... uh it uh, Scott's powers aren't doing diddly. <laughs> so uh, did we know this, or is this kind of the first time we're hearing about these more powerful powers? I think this is the first time we're hearing about them. Oh, okay. Nice. Well, we also find out that Cyclops has the ability to raise and lower the glasses portion of his glasses. It's so stupid looking. It's like those uh, like clip-on sunglasses for like a pair of prescription glasses. I don't know. He looks like an old man in this panel. <laughs> he does. He's like uh, the guy from Indiana Jones when he drinks from the wrong grail. He also, he may, he actually kind of looks like when they open up the Ark of the Covenant and their their mouths open wide and they start melting. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's just about to melt. He's about to melt, yes. <laughs> um, so for whatever reason, his blasts now work uh, because he he blows this sentinel wide open, I, I suppose because it's off balance and doesn't have its Cyclops shields raised or something. But. Well, yeah. So Marvel Girl shoots it with her telekinetic powers to get it out of the restaurant or the building. And that's when Cyclops is able to let loose the full power, which blows right through the Sentinel. Spacow! <laughs> so, I mean, whatever defenses the Sentinel had, they, they definitely were down. We have never dealt with the full power of either of these mutants. Rats. <laughs> but that's okay. The other Sentinel who is not damaged has managed to secure Marvel Girl in his hand and has also managed to shoot at Cyclops 
and assumes that he has destroyed Cyclops. As does Jean Grey. She refers to the Sentinel as Sentinel. Sentinel, if you've killed him, I'll... Uh, and she gets gassed by the Sentinel's wrist gas beam. And so the Sentinel, I guess, reports in to whatever the central headquarters is that his power was too great, Cyclops, that is. So the unit had no choice to, but to kill him, I guess. Uh, Cyclops is supposedly dead. Oh, but wait, in the next panel, he's alive. Well, no, uh, yeah, I mean, that does happen. But before that, uh, the Sentinel goes into the ultra-linear leap with Marvel Girl, which we remember from the Avengers as the ability to essentially teleport. But we also recall, I thought, the ultra-linear leap was a mutation that they got from being too close to the sun. Right? Oh, wow. You're, you're, you got all sorts of information. <laughs> well, I'm just recalling from the Avengers uh, issue that we, or three-parter that we did. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> well, I thought, I mean, they never really explained what the ultra-linear leap was. And if you'll remember, um, what was the kid's name? Trask? Yeah, Larry? Larry Trask. Lawrence. He Remember, he was able to, like, concentrate, and he was able to do the ultra-linear leap after a lot of concentrating. Or they he beamed the whole plane to another place, didn't he? To Australia. He beamed, beamed the plane to Australia. And they were in New York or something, so they were able to traverse long distances. So, I don't know. I just Are these the same sentinels that were flying around the sun? I thought they were stuck in the ant hole. I don't know. I don't know if... I guess we'll find out, or, or we won't. I'm thinking we won't find out, Adam. I'm thinking they're the same ones. I, I think the Sentinels are always the same for some reason. Yeah. I mean, we can assume here that it's um, Stephen Lang that is running these Sentinels, right? I mean, spoilers. Well, not spoilers, but the leg and the issue a couple uh, issues ago and some other uh, giveaways were, were definitely Sentinel related. But do you think he found them or do you think he found the plans to make new Sentinels? Oh, good question. Good question. It doesn't even matter because it's never explained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyways, you're right. Cyclops is alive. To add some action and adventure to this, he's falling off of the building and he's holding on to like uh, one of those, you know, skyscraper antennas, which is precariously hanging onto the side of the building. This radio mast, my only hope, I only pray it holds. It's got to because if it doesn't, it's 60 stories to the street. And no banshee to catch me as I fall. It held <laughs> one panel later. <laughs> but only by a thread. If I move an inch, this whole mess is going to give away. So I stay where I am and hold on. But for how long, Scott? How long? <laughs> <laughs> He's all sweaty. His teeth are gritted. Oh, my God. How long? I feel like this comic is like creating tension and then taking it away. And then creating tension <laughs> and then... I don't know, just trying too hard. So as if in answer to my question, because as I was reading this issue and they blew the Sentinel off the top of the roof, I'm like, man, that's a lot of debris coming down 60 stories. How many uh, people are going to get hurt by that? And the very next panel says, backtrack a minute or two now, and we see the Sentinel crashing to the ground below. And nobody's hurt, but still. I thought that was neat that, that they actually included that. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty realistic. And and Banshee down below uh, sees it, and he's like, holy crap, that's a sentinel! And that's when he rips off all of his clothes to reveal his costume underneath. Now, before... 
before we go forward, I would like to point out that Banshee previously was wearing a very large sweater and a very large heavy coat. Mm -hmm. And presumably, let's say a pair of jeans. It's the 70s. Sure. Well, he rips them all to shreds with his mighty... I mean, this is not possible. Um, he's wearing some tan slacks, but regardless, you are correct. But if you look at his mouth, there's like a scream coming from it. Right. And I, and I would accept that the scream had something to do with that, but how would that affect his pants? I don't know, but I, I like the idea that he screamed his clothes off. (laughs) (laughs) And his shoes? (laughs) Oh, everything. But not only that, I mean, he, he had the fortitude to wear his costume underneath all of that. And he's got those goofy little wings that connect from his, uh, uh, what, his, his, uh, wrists down to his, like, knees. Yeah, that is strange. How was he able to conceal all of that when he had jackets and stuff that would have, I don't know. Well, he was looking pretty bulky. Whenever you have a costume inconsistency, you just need two words, unstable molecules. (laughs) Yeah. So all of their street clothes are also made out of unstable molecules. See, that would be cool, though, if like their, their costumes were unstable molecules and then they could just transform them. At will. Well, that's essentially what Storm does. I mean, she's able to crack some lightning and her plain clothes turn into her Storm costume. Right. And that doesn't really make much sense. But uh, anyways, so they kind of spring into action. Uh, Banshee flies Wolverine up. He tells Moira to go find Nightcrawler and Colossus because we're going to need them back. Did you hear? That green guy said they was muties. And that black chick, she's glowing like the sun. What's going on here anyways? After Banshee takes off, Wolverine jumps on and grabs Banshees by the feet and says, Wait up, bub. If there's a fight brewing, then the Wolverine's going to be in on it. Hey, is that our first appearance of bub? Oh, maybe. I think it might be. Hmm. But he's still referring to himself as the Wolverine. Yeah. Well, as we know, Wolverine is a very heavy dude. We we don't know this yet, but <laughs> I don't know that Banshee could uh, hold him. At any rate, even if he wasn't that heavy, I'd be pretty annoyed. Get off my feet. <laughs> what are you doing, boyo? You know, I fly by screaming, you know, and catching some wind. You're not helping me, boyo. A storm, she flies up there and she just says, like, she's going to go help, essentially. Yeah, Banshee tells her and Moira to go find Nightcrawler and Colossus, but Storm's like, no, I'm I'm going to do this. And then Banshee and Wolverine disappear. Yeah. And then a, a few panels later, Cyclops says, a bunch of the a bunch of the Sentinels nailed Banshee and Wolverine, just plucked them out of the sky and there wasn't a thing I could do to stop it. This is after uh Storm sees and rescues Cyclops. That seems like something that's ripe for uh, retconning at some point, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's another case of uh, tell but don't show. But let's let's hang on those words for just a moment. Just plucked them out of the sky, and there wasn't a thing I could do to stop it. If you do decide to listen to the classic portion of the show, just remember that line. <laughs> There's a quick little description of what a sentinel is, uh, and Sentinel A three uh, is now joined the fight and is shooting at Scott and Storm. Sentinel A3 reported your life function terminated, Cyclops. It seems A3 was in error. Said error will be corrected now. Yeah, this isn't A3. This is, uh, it looks like A4 or maybe just (laughs) 4. I'm going to go with Sentinel 4, but sure. All right, that's fine. 
Sentinel-4 is about to take out Storm. But not before Storm announces herself. Well, I am Storm Monster, and I resist you, and I will not be destroyed. Did I mention I'm Storm? (laughs) Uh, The Sentinel says that this unit is programmed to deal with all mutant powers. This unit, warning, warning, wind velocity increasing, turbulence, threatening, systems overload. She hits him with the full force of a rampaging hurricane. And uh, apparently a lightning storm as well, because in the next panel, that sentinel blows up. I like this panel. Yeah, it's a cool panel. Yeah, the buildings are kind of like at a fisheye, kind of fisheye effect. And then there's like a big lightning storm explosion and a spiral wind effect. There's a bunch of people down on the street looking up. Yeah, that's a good. I like this panel a lot. A freaking hurricane floating 70 stories above Rockefeller Center. Yikes! <laughs> And that's when uh, Cyclops realizes the full force of Storm's powers and says, you got to stop before you destroy the entire city. He says, oh, my God. <laughs> it's all in little text, too. <laughs> well, I like that. It's it's kind of like the second. Uh, remember uh, Professor X a couple of issues ago was like, Scott, how we doing? Like, so it's like the yeah. first use of that uh, whisper speak or whatever. But Storm's like, uh, don't worry, it's done. I've got complete control over my power. I was only attacking the Sentinel. What do you? What's the deal here? What's wrong? So I see. But if Professor X were here, I'm sure he'd. Good Lord, the Professor! <laughs> so apparently, for the use and display of her powers, Cyclops thinks that the Professor would be mad at Storm for basically destroying well, we the Sentinel. we don't know what he was going to say, so, I mean, he could have said, would spank you? <laughs> he finds you attractive and like would like to spank your bottom. Or would give you candy. <laughs> That's a good point. Comb your hair. He doesn't know about these new Sentinels. He's got to be warned! Well... Let's see what's happening with the professor. Apparently, he and Peter Corbo also do not care that they were nearly attacked by Polaris and Havoc and Eric the Red. They're just fishing. Yeah. The professor has tracked down Peter Corbo as a way to figure out how to solve his dream dilemma that he's been having, those terrible dreams of beings in space. The professor believes that Peter Corbo will help him Figure out where in space these dreams are happening. And Peter Corbo is kind of like, face it, Charles. Starcore's charted over half the Milky Way, and your binary isn't found anywhere. Are you sure, Peter? <laughs> you might have missed something. So that's a good that's a good accent. You should keep that one. I'll forget it by the next issue. <laughs> <laughs> so the insinuation here is that uh, Peter's like, Look, I don't think you're crazy, but I think you're under some stress. And, uh, you know, maybe you need more than just this fishing trip to, uh, you know, kind of forget about what ails you. I do not like this shadow effect that they're doing (laughs) here. It looks like the professor is, his eyes are covered in sand. Or perhaps sand fleas. Yeah, I I don't like it either. And it actually kind of looks like he's pooping in this episode, too. He's very (laughs) strained. Charles, look, you've been under a hell of a strain. Just wanted to point out the swear again. Lately, more than any man can rightly stand. It could be that this isn't this binary of yours isn't real at all. It could be all in your mind. 
Are you saying I'm insane? Yeah, you're just tired is all, but I think you should seek professional help. Hey, you got a bite on your line. Holy crap, it's a sentinel. I caught a sentinel. Hey, can I keep it? Now, look at the amount of line in the sentinel's <laughs> hand. The professor was using a lot of line. <laughs> well, they're deep sea di- uh, uh, deep sea fishing. <laughs> and, the, and the sentinel went through all this trouble to collect all of it. <laughs> he was like going up the line. Oh, I got a little more. <laughs> well, what was he doing underwater in the first place? <laughs> like, was he just waiting? Like, okay, sensors show the professor's showing up. They're trolling. Oh, for God's sakes. I'm, I'm just going to collect this line while I'm down here and... <laughs> Roll it up all into a nice little ball. Okay, now is my time to spring forward. Splooshy comes out of the water. Charles Xavier, I have come for you. The Sentinels have returned. <laughs> I am one of them, Sentinel, Sentinel <laughs> 6. The professor's like, oh, but it, a Sentinel, that's impossible. My mental defenses should have sealed me, shielded me, but they haven't. What? From what? Why would his mental defenses shield him from a robot? Well, you know. The professor has magic robotic sensory powers. Sure. Well, that's okay, because the professor's just going to use a mind bolt on him. Heck yeah. (laughs) Danger, danger, mutant mind blast penetrating shields. This unit unable to compensate in time. This unit is falling. This unit has fallen. (laughs) This unit is underwater. (laughs) This unit cannot swim. (laughs) This unit is rusting. Obviously, this unit can swim. (laughs) Well, so the professor's like, wow, consider yourself lucky, Sentinel. That mind blast should have destroyed you, so it didn't. It seems that his dream has sapped him of his power. That's one heck of a dream. Yeah, no kidding. Peter Corbo takes off. Uh, the The boat starts sailing away. She's running fine. She's getting away. Do me a favor, though. Watch out for our tin playmate while I call in the Air Force. Apparently, Peter Corbo has souped up his boat, so it's 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 humming just just nicely. Oh yeah. But just at that moment, uh, the professor has a painful dream spasm or something of this bug-faced spaceship thing that we can't quite figure out what it is. But now it has hands, and it definitely has eyes and a nose, and it's reaching out for him. If you weren't looking for that eyes and nose, you probably would not see it. It's uh, It, it definitely looks like the face is like a big bug face, but yeah. it, it's cool. It's a really good design. I like these, these guys. Yeah, uh, and so he screams out, No! Mayday, mayday, any station. What? Charles, Lord, that scream. The poor sod's gone totally round the bend. Corbo would have done something, but he never got the chance. You cannot escape us, mutant. Sprucam. <laughs> yes, the sentinel uh, who got mine blasted flies through Peter Corbo's boat, destroying the boat, causing Peter Corbo to go flying. And Charles also goes flying. Yeah, but we're led to believe a little bit later on that the Sentinel has caught the Professor and is flying off. Yes, and Peter Corbo is left alone, uh, hanging on to the debris of his destroyed ship, As uh, and apparently he's 200 miles from land. If no one heard your mayday, it's going to be one long swim, he says to himself. And it looks like there's, is that the shadow of a shark? Oh, it does. it totally is. I didn't even notice that. The Sentinel does give us a little clue, though. He does say, Sentinel A1 to main mission, returning to base via ultralinear leap. Sensors indicate solar radiation nearing Sentinel's tolerance levels. 
Mm. Interesting. This was not Sentinel A1, by the way. This is clearly Sentinel 6. You're right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, and even as he's blo- crashing through the boat, you can still see the 6 on his uh, tummy. I know. Confused identity, Sentinel. We move now four days later, I guess. Time cut now. Four days up the line to 28th December. Wouldn't that be three days? 1975, a Sunday in New York. Let's just say it was a Christmas Eve when they were uh, at the tree. Okay, fair Even though it says Merry Christmas (laughs) X-Men. And if you were to read it that way, then there would actually be no Christmas Day actually portrayed in this comic book. Right. (laughs) Makes no sense. This should be called Merry Christmas Eve, X-Men. All right. Well, anyways, Marvel Girl and Wolverine and Banshee are uh, strung up in little restraints of some kind. And Professor X is on the right in a giant tube. And honestly, like, I know he's there and they do kind of refer to him. But if you're not looking, you can't really see him because he's kind of like in a faded green color. You're almost led to believe that maybe it's like a worker or something in some sort of stasis. But you're right. It's the professor. It's, it's actually not a green color in the omnibus. It's like a, he's got like a pink shirt on. Oh, so there you go. Another coloring snafu. Banshee's like, will you be looking at the head honcho, Dr. Stephen Lang himself? As if the Banshee knows who Stephen Lang is. <laughs> They're old war buddies. Oh, oh we used to work the same beat as cops, did we not, Sir Stephen Lang? Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, Banshee, those were the days. <laughs> and then uh, one of the guys, one of the henchmen with a mustache and a crazy white costume. He kind of looks like a, a Magnum P.I. Oh, yeah, yeah. Magnum <laughs> P.I. is like spying on Stephen Lang. <laughs> Higgins, <laughs> I found Dr. <laughs> Stephen Lang. Juice up the car. He says, uh, Dr. Lang, excuse me, sir, but the solar radiation storm showed no signs of abating. We'll have to shut down Sentinel operations for the time being. Huh, weird. So no Sentinels. No, no, I guess not. I guess they'll have to make do with the mutants that they've got. And then he says, I don't know, sir, is this Wolverine a mutant? His readings are nothing like the others. The Sentinels say he is, but mutant or no, whatever the mutant Wolverine is, he isn't human. That's weird. It's, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like this is a plot point that never gets picked up on again. I don't know. I mean... I recall that Chris Claremont had weird intentions for Wolverine. I don't remember what they are, hmm. but this clearly would seem to imply something that never happens. Yeah, either that or chalk it up to like opening up a mystery. I feel like Chris Claremont does that a lot. And it'll be interesting as we read these where he's like, I want to do something with this one of these days. And, and sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. So, I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting way to kind of open up a plot point. And as we all know, of course, many people have written things about this, you know, because he's not exactly a mutant. And I mean, he's not exactly a human, right, as we know now. It just depends on how you look at it, right? I mean, I, I feel like the implication was that I don't know. Maybe it was like back to that thing where he he he's like a humanoid Wolverine or something like that. Sure, I don't know. Sure. So who knows what the original intent was? But they sure have done a lot with the very little that they've given us uh, already. I mean, I guess it's the smart play, right? Because they're not like uh, this guy's name is Bill Smith. His mutant powers are claws. And he's uh, an angry guy, right? Right, They're like, we don't know his name. We don't know really what his mutant power is. I mean, we assume that it's just his claws, but 
we haven't really even nobody said his mutant powers are just his claws. Well, Wolverine says, keep it up, bub, and I'll, and then he gets cut off by Stephen Lang, who says, do nothing, mutant. These chrome alloy shackles are unbreakable. And I think we've established in, what, Hulk 181 or 182 that he's got adamantium claws? Were they? Yeah, yeah, they were, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so adamantium exists at this point. So Marvel Girl, she gets, she cops a little attitude, and she's like, where's your swastika, Lang? You don't look dressed without it. I'm no Nazi, Miss Gray. Just a man doing his duty. Following orders, huh? If you like, you mutant kind of the enemy, I'm going to find a way to destroy you. So the two of them continue arguing, and uh, and she gets to the point where she says, You sad, pathetic, screwed-up little man. Do you think the X-Men are easily be- that easily beaten? And he says, yes, and he slaps her. Hang on. His motivation here is that mutants are becoming a bigger and bigger threat. And apparently he knows that Xavier is a mutant. So we don't, I don't know how he knows that because I thought his identity was a secret. But the idea here is that if you cut the heart out of the kind of mutant community, you can kill the organisms. So the heart of the mutant community is the X-Men. So that's why he's starting there. And the heart of the X-Men are Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Xavier. Yep, supposedly. And that's when he smacks her across the face. Which is like, I don't know, was it was violence against women something that we saw like prior to this? Is this is this just seems really it's it's a full like flat slap, flat palm slap. He's it's like a colossus punch. He goes he goes all the way back. It's a backhand. I mean, it, he backhanded her. And rightfully so. Wolverine flips out. Yeah. And he rips through his unbreakable shackles <laughs> and says, That tears it, bub. You can dump on me and Banshee all you like, especially Banshee. <laughs> I kind of like it when you dump on Banshee. But when you beat on the lady... That's when you answer to the Wolverine. He pops his claws, and it's the first time in canon, anyways, we see his claws coming out of his bare hands. And man, it looks painful. It does. There's uh, there's big, big bumps, like, where his uh, claws come out. There's definitely a lot of skin displacement going on there. The Wolverine starts slashing up the soldiers, or, or I guess the, the scientists that are working with Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang runs off to Sentinel T-20, who clearly is, does not have any sense of what's going on because Stephen Lang has to point out to Sentinel T-20, a mutant is loose. Secure him. See that guy over there killing all those other guys? That's a mutant. Huh? <laughs> Friend? <laughs> Alive if you can, dead if you must. So that's the name of the game, is it? Fine with me, bub. Only this time I got my feet on the ground. And Sentinel, baby, that makes all the difference. Bring! He does like to say baby a lot. <laughs> At least he's not saying fuster. <laughs> Futzer. <For> futzer. <laughs> I think he said baby last time as well, but I guess whatever. Wolverine jumps into the air and with a full slash rips the arm... Off of the Sentinel, Sentinel T20, and apparently that's enough to knock out the Sentinel. And the humans are all like, ah, 
and they take off running. I guess uh, Wolverine pulls Banshee off of the chains, uh, strips down naked and puts on his costume, and then gets Jean down from her shackles. Where does he get his costume from? Well, if you go well, back... I, I, yeah, I guess in the previous pages, they were holding it, so... Yeah, for some reason, Stephen Lang, like, had one made for him. Yeah. Wolverine was just carrying it in his pocket. <laughs> and uh, Jean's all like, Oh, this dress is too long. I can't run or fight in it. And that's when Wolverine grabs the dress and just rips it off of her. All of it. She's completely naked right now. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Just the bottom part. So she's got like a little mini skirt now. Yeah, just enough to make her look like a Flintstone. <laughs> hey, not so blasted short. Thank you very much, I think. Anytime, Red. He's got a little knowing smile on his face. <laughs> this is the where Banshee sees Wolverine's claws and says, Your claws, laddie, Lord above, they're a part of you. We... I didn't know. Why should you, Irish? It's none of your business. I guess that that's a shout-out. I think that goes to Arthur Painter. I think he pointed out uh, when we did one of the retcon issues that I said Nightcrawler was the one that saw him, and I was wrong. So I'm sorry. It should be. <laughs> and I hope you feel good about yourself for making me look like a fool. Well, I do. That's why I brought it up. Okay, group, time's a waste, and let's get out of here while we got the chance. Not without Professor X. Aye, laddie, we can't leave Charles here. You got a better idea? He looks crippled and unconscious. How are we going to carry him and fight, huh? Now, this is just a point where, like, if those classic X-Men and those other things are in canon, then the Wolverine we'd know would never be like, let's let's cut the professor and get out of here. Right, because he was sipping whiskey and, well, old friend, that type of thing. Yeah, so. exactly. So, no, they're just not. They're not in canon. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Joss Whedon. I'm sorry, Chris Claremont, whoever else. Yeah, this character here clearly is only interested in himself and maybe the immediate people around him that can provide him assist assistance. Right. But it doesn't really matter because after that little uh, back and forth between Gene uh, and Wolverine, a sentinel barges through the wall. Oh, yeah! <laughs> it's the Kool-Aid Man sentinel. <laughs> and uh, that's okay, but uh, Sean has this one for he just yells at uh, it and its bolts fall out of its ears, it looks like. <laughs> Why do the Sentinels have uh, eardrums or <laughs> mechanisms that allow them to be hurt by the sonic sounds? It makes no sense. Yeah, I didn't even notice that before. <laughs> the bolts are that's, coming out of his ears. That's terrible. <laughs> I've got this one, high to tie. They're popping out of the woodwork as they all try to escape, and then they're suddenly surrounded by what looks like zombie hordes of Sentinels. Oh, lordy. And they, uh... They attack. They attack, and the X-Men attack back. Jean Grey takes out two with some telekinetic blasts, and Wolverine slashes the faceplate off of one of them. Way to go, Irish! And Banshee, uh, does a little, does a little yelling, because that's what Banshee does. <laughs> one of the Sentinels has Wolverine, and uh, Marvel Girl uses her telekinesis to drop that Sentinel, and it's kind of a sexy pose there. She's got her arms out, she's blasting through her head, and the dress is all ripped up, and there's that low-cut back thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to see that one turned around from the front. 
This is when you fell in love with Jean Grey, isn't it? I think so. It's like very <laughs> skimpy redheaded clothes or skimpy girl with redhead. Oh man. Well, she topples down that sentinel. Banshee grabs Marvel Girl and then Well the Sentinel Marvel Girl topples it and it almost falls on top of her. Oh, okay. And that's why Banshee has to run in and grab her. Not good planning. Cutting a little close again, aren't you, Mr. Cassidy? Banshee agrees and then grabs Wolverine. They rush out to escape out of the complex. Oh, he calls Wolverine shorty. And nothing between heaven and hell gonna stop us. They're swearing again. And then the captions say, wanna bet, Banshee? That's another weird thing. Like, normally when they have a call and response like that, it's usually, like, separated by a single panel. There's, like, three panels that occur before we get this wanna bet. Banshee's scream is cut short with an asterisk, and uh, and then we, we cut over to Cyclops and Nightcrawler. What happened, Jeremy? What happened? Well, the, the dialogue here says, so near, Banshee, and yet so far. New York, close enough to see on a clear day, tantalizing, unreachable. If only your friends knew, but perhaps it's better that they don't. I don't know where they are, Adam. Oh, man. And apparently neither do Nightcrawler or Cyclops, because they're hovering over uh, Cerebro. They've scanned the Earth, the entire world, twice over, and there's no sign of them anywhere. Nightcrawler starts to give Cyclops a back massage. Cyclops sells him, oh, that, that feels pretty good, man. And then Nightcrawler is like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, that's what I got the three fingers for. <laughs> you never had a back rub until you've had it with just three fingers. I call them Bamf rubs. <laughs> and that's when we get an intruder alert. Somebody has driven up to the mansion. And is climbing over the the, the gate. Rather than ringing the doorbell, which presumably they have, but uh, whatever. Nightcrawler, kind of interesting. He is able to see through the video screen the area, so he's able to teleport from the control room outside. Stay here, Kurt. I'm going to check. Kurt, where'd he go, Bamf? Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler, stop attacking him. Stop. <laughs> no, leave that arm on. <laughs> stop biting him. No, don't eat his leg. Oh, my gosh, the humanity. We cut to, we, we don't get a dialogue here or anything, but we just cut to the next panel where they're all sitting in the kitchen or something. Peter Corbo's got a blanket wrapped around him. He's drinking coffee. And Cyclops now, is like... This is something that has always irked me. Cyclops says, as he's looking at the screen, this panel, this panel and he, he recognizes Dr. Corbo, and he says, oh, I recognize that face. I know who he is. He's dot, dot, dot. And then we cut to... Maybe an hour, maybe half an hour later, where Dr. Corbo's inside drinking a cup of tea or cocoa or something, warming up, and Cyclops finishes his thought, Dr. Peter Corbo, an old friend of the professor's. You think Cyclops didn't say anything for that whole time? He just held on to it. He was like, this is the right moment. Now, in fairness, they do this in movies all the time where they're like... Oh, yeah, no kidding. I hate it there, too. Where they'll be talking and they'll be in the living room and they'll finish the conversation as they're in the car, you know, going around a corner. It's just bad. It's it's just unrealistic. It is what it is. It's my pet peeve. (laughs) Dr. Peter Corbo, an old friend of the professor's, he says he's here to help us and I've taken the liberty of briefing him and all that's happened, so... That's what but, happened between him saying, oh, I know who that guy is, and him saying his name. And literally, why aren't the X-Men like, yeah, we were all here when he told you that. <laughs> you don't need to tell us that. 
but I'm going to tell you again. The gist of it is, Dr. Gerbo, is that Cerebro can't find them, not even a residual trace. And the only way for that to happen is for Gene and the others to be dead. I don't, we don't have to accept it, but what other choice do we have? It's like they vanished off the face of the earth. That's it! That's why the Sentinel was so worried about solar flares. Don't you see, Cyclops? They're not on Earth at all! Dun, dun, dun! Final panel. Banshee, Wolverine, Marvel Girl. Are dead. They're floating in space, (laughs) dead. Because that's what would happen. If you flew out into the emptiness of space, you would die. You would freeze to death, and you 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 would explode, right? Because there's yeah. there's like there's pressure differences, and you would you would go out there and you would die, unless 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 there is a ship in existence that is able to be in every area of the universe at the same time, and that would happen to pick them up. We could call the ship I don't know the Heart of Gold, <laughs> the Starship Heart of Gold with some sort of improbability field of some kind, maybe. Yes. Well, the only yes. way for that to happen is if the president of the galaxy stole it, and that's not going to happen. Oh, uh, you might be onto something there. Mm, all right. Well, that's the end of issue ninety-eight. But I did want to, unless you have to something, continue. Yes, I did want to draw our attention. Oops. To, is it to the letters page? Yes. Because there is a letter by a comic book person in there. Oh, that's probably not the letter I was referring to. But hit it. What do you got? Uh, well, Joe Duffy is a comic book uh, writer. This letter is by someone who would later be uh, in the industry. I did see Joe Duffy's name in here. I'm like, that name seems awfully familiar. No, I was uh, talking more about Jana Hollingsworth. That is the woman I would later marry. <laughs> yeah? In, in eight years from now. No, okay. <laughs> She's old. <laughs> I'm not even born yet at this point in the X-Men's career. No, you're not. Nice. I'm not even born yet. Wow. This issue came out before we were born, Jeremy. That just blew my mind. (laughs) Okay, so Jana C. Hollingsworth has been reading for quite a while. She's very uh, excited about the new X-Men. She really liked the glimpses of Storm's past on page 30, something I also enjoyed. She also talks about Wolverine's uncontrolled murder of Kirok. She does go on later on to talk about how she's bored of the ex... I guess I'm assuming that Jan is a girl. It could be a guy, I guess, because it's J-A-N-A. But uh, that she is not too into the Sentinel story that seems to be a Bruin. And yes, she did recognize the leg in one of the panels. And she says that once you've seen uh, a Sentinel story, you've seen them all, which I disagree with because, as you know, Adam, I very much like the Sentinel stories. But she does go on to say that as for new villains, I hope the prof is wrong and we have seen the last of Kirok and the Nagari. I personally dislike the monster's elder god type of world-conquering villains. The mythic concept behind the evil god bit is always excruciatingly simple-minded, and the monsters themselves are inevitably the dullest of villains. And I can't say that I don't disagree. Oh, that's the one that I wanted to hit. I guess because the person mostly agreed with my line of thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how selfish. (laughs) So we also got a message here uh, from Peter Watson. We got it a while ago, but I don't actually think we've recorded since we got this message. We got it on April 9th, so we've been a little lax in our recording. But uh, he writes us to tell him that 
uh, on Facebook uh, that he listened to the latest podcast and noticed our interest in comments on Chris Claremont having characters introduce themselves all the time. And he thought he would share an anecdote with us. Have you read this one yet, Adam? Yes. He says he's from Glasgow. Uh, that's where, where Maura McTaggart is from. And back in the early 90s, Chris Claremont was interviewed at a Glasgow comic convention. During the interview, a comparison was made between the X-Men and DC's Legion of Superheroes. Both were team books with loads of characters and subplots and a strong, at least then, fan base. Chris did not take kindly to this, and he, uh, without any irony, openly criticized the writers of DC's Legion of Superheroes for having his characters constantly introduced themselves in every issue and said he would hate to have to write comics that way. And Peter thought that that was a bit hypocritical of him at the time. Well, I, Adam, have to agree that that is pretty hypocritical. He also suggests a name for the classic X-Men bonus material section. We've actually got a, a few of these. We'll, we'll collect them all and then we'll have everybody vote or something. But then if somebody could make a song with it, that'd be even awesomer. The song with all of them. Yeah, there you go. But the final part is, he works in a comic book shop, The Forbidden Planet in Glasgow, and has recommended our podcast to our customers as a fun way for new fans of the X-Men to find out more of the history of the team and for old fans to rediscover classic, if not sometimes cheesy stories. I hope this gets us more listeners. Well... I hope it gets us more listeners, and I, I'm so happy that somebody who works at a comic book shop, A, listens, and B, recommends us to their customers. You know what we should do, Adam? Yes, my name is Adam. What should we do? <laughs> we should, you know when you buy your comic books, they usually give you a whole bunch of like inserts? We should buy a bunch of inserts? No, man. We should make ourselves one of those quarter sheet inserts and put like our names and our podcasts and our URL and like give it to Peter Watson or anybody who works at a comic book shop so they can stuff comic book bags with our podcast info. Maybe we could have those inserts and then they come with free comics and you have to buy the inserts. Well, that's, that's, that's an option, Adam, but I think my idea is more workable. <laughs> I, I have no idea anything about anything as far as how you would go about doing that. So if if there's a listener out there who knows about printing or uh, such craziness, let us know. You always take the wind out of my sails without bringing that reality thing into play. You're just <laughs> supposed to say, yeah, that's a great idea. We should do that. And then we never do it. <laughs> you got the reins on this one, buddy. Yeah. Fine. So again, thank you, Peter Watson, for giving us that anecdote and for our free advertisement you're giving to the fine folks of Glasgow. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we've had a, a couple of uh, people like our Facebook page over the past couple of days. I wonder if any of those are people that were recommended this, the, the podcast by Peter. That would be interesting. Honestly, it was a, a few short days after the April 9th letter that we started noticing our Facebook-like counter going up. So maybe it's all Peter's doing. Who knows? We'll give you the credit, Peter, just because you had a, a fine letter. Uh, also, could you comment on how our accents are <laughs> when we do Banshee and Moira? I, mine's terrible, so <laughs> I, I don't need the commenting. But yeah, I would like to hear how everybody perceives Jeremy's, which in my opinion is pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so again, we're at about 88 likes on the Facebook page. It's the uh, Facebook like pledge drive. We're trying to get ourselves to 100. So we only need 
12 more. So get your pals out there to, to like us on Facebook. And uh, while you're at it, you can head out to the iTunes page and subscribe and leave us some feedback if you care to. Or you can visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com where you can get all of the episodes and a lot of the crazy panels that we banter on about. And you can go to Twitter, at Danger Room Go. And you can go to Facebook.com, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Or you could email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. There you go. So many ways to get a hold of us. Or you can call us. Oh, yeah. It's 501-GET-X-MEN. And I don't remember what the GET-X-MEN numbers are. So you find, can figure that out. Find yourself an old phone and look up the letters, and it's 501-GET-X-MEN. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear your voices. Peter Watson, if you have a Scottish accent, you should do some banshee parts for us. <laughs> totally. But really cheese it up. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody else with fun accents, you should read parts of like uh, Wolverine and uh, Colossus and Storm. If we had a female listener with like a nice, like deep African voice, it would be awesome to hear your rendition of what you think Storm would sound like. But they all have to be extremely hokey and cheesy. Yes. And perhaps we could get some Marvel Girl lines down because I think our voices are just getting a little too old. Yeah, probably. <laughs> right, Cyclops! <laughs> uh, anyways, there, so there you go, uh, issue number 98. But we're not done yet, folks. We're moving on to the as-of-yet-unnamed classic X-Men portion of the show. Next week we'll, we'll, we'll throw out some of the suggestions for a title and we'll let you vote on them. This is the uh, February 1987 Classic X-Men number six. The first page of uh, differences that we'll note is uh, page seven, where we get to see that scene of Banshee carrying Wolverine into battle to, to face off the Sentinels. The first thing you'll notice is that Banshee is now holding Wolverine by the arm and, and not... Wolverine holding onto Banshee by the legs. These pages are drawn by James Fry, who whom I do not know. Uh, that would explain the drastic art difference. <laughs> yeah, so when we last left Wolverine, he was hanging on to Banshee's feet. Now he's holding on to his hands. We get a little bit of a, a little fight, sort of. Um, Banshee's recognizing them as a sentinel. The sentinel shoots at Banshee. And then Banshee drops Wolverine. Wolverine is able to slash a sentinel that comes after him. Somehow the sentinel knows that this the second target, Codifax Wolverine. Like, how does he know his name? Well, he watches TV. <laughs> okay. That's it, bub. Come on closer where my claws can reach you. Well, Sentinel D7, we get his name, smacks Wolverine through a building. Well, that's D3. D7 is the one that Wolverine slashed. Oh, you're right. Well, see, they keep going back and forth from talking about themselves in the first person to referring to their buddies. So it's not fair. <laughs> well, yes, he smacks the crap out of Wolverine, and Wolverine goes through a building and a water tower. So we flip to the next page, and we're right back into the original story where Storm is flying up to Scott. We never actually see the two X-Men get plucked out of the sky which would be the only reason for doing this, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, it would also be nice if we could see Cyclops seeing that, but, I mean, 
all of that is irrelevant. It's totally not. irrelevant. But, I mean, the only reason to do this page is because Cyclops says, just pluck them out of the sky. There wasn't a thing I could do to stop it. Like, the only thing you needed to do is show a scene of them being plucked out of the sky. And you don't see that. Yeah. There's literally no reason for this page to exist. We'll move on to page 13, I believe. Yep. Colossus and Nightcrawler on their dates. They're with uh, Betsy and Amanda when apparently, I don't know, Nightcrawler's tricorder starts beeping. Right. <laughs> it's a huge tricorder, too. It's it's gigantic. If the third pan, fourth panel is to be believed, and that's his thumb holding it, yeah, right. it's the size of a small typewriter. Yeah, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Note that uh, Colossus is looking at the ballet poster and remembering the girl from his little short story from the previous issue of Classic X-Men. Anya Markova. Yeah. Which is, this is a poster for Anya Markova. I have not seen Anya since that morning she ran away from me. I hope she is well. But that's not even what happened in that story. He's like, no, you are wrong. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I guess I, they're trying to tie them together, but it doesn't even seem right to tie those together like that. Well, uh, Nightcrawler says goodbye to Amanda. He can't help but feel like they've met before. Moira shows up and says, guys, we got to go. As he finally says goodbye to her, mm -hmm. she thinks to herself, on that Nightcrawler, my blue and furry elf, you can bet your life. We are definitely establishing that this Amanda that they've just met is none other than Amanda Sefton who we will later know uh, later get to know as uh she's not a mutant i think she's a magician of some kind and becomes nightcrawler's girlfriend remember folks we are in the spoilers section if you didn't want to hear this well you shouldn't have been listening that's your <laughs> slightly too late spoiler warning well we're five issues into our spoiler ridden thing oh we get two pages by the way two pages in a row page 14 back at the mansion which I guess now this is Christmas uh, Eve evening, maybe? Uh, maybe. Who knows? The X-Men are training in the danger room, even though, oh, God, Marvel Girl, Banshee, and Wolverine have been captured. Yeah, I guess it would make sense for the rest of the X-Men to be training for whatever danger is coming, right? Right. And Cyclops is wearing the heck out of Cerebro. <laughs> it's an intense wearing of. And there are uh, detection beams just radiating out of the school. I was under the impression that at this point of Cerebro, only a telekinetic or a telepath could use it. But I guess not. Maybe it's Cyberno. It's, it's totally Cyberno. Well, we get our introduction to a mansion, a different mansion, a Fifth Avenue mansion that is home uh, to some club called the Hellfire Club. There, there's this guy who's like, scanning waves, Mr. Shaw, extremely powerful, but our shields can still block them. I don't know who Mr. Shaw is, but this Mr. Shaw, he's like, the X-Men are searching for their lost compatriots. And some mystery person whom we don't know because they're, uh, they have a shroud on. Uh, you're a mutant, Shaw. Is there any chance of you being detected? And apparently there isn't. And he, the person in the shroud is Mr. Chairman. And honestly, I don't know who this chairman is. Credulous simpleton, he says. The, the, the chairman says of Shaw. 
Should Lang succeed, not merely those heroes will be destroyed, but you, Sebastian Shaw, and your fellow mutants as well. Is that uh, Sage in the background? I don't know who Sage is. The, the girl in the black? Yeah. No, I think that's the Black Queen, uh, Celine, maybe? And she's like oh, a... Oh, okay. yeah. Well, we'll learn later, spoilers, that Shaw and the Hellfire Club back some of the Sentinel monies, but we're not even establishing that. I don't know what we're establishing with this page. Yeah, it was Chris Claiborne was just like, I want to write the Hellfire Club in this early. I always wanted to do that. Well, I believe the Hellfire Club... Well, no, I think we're a lot of issues away from Hellfire Club, so oh, who knows? Well, that's it for the uh, retcon portion of the issue, but there is a backup story for us. And it's a weird one. It's Well, it's not weird. It's just there are no words. It's called A Love Story, and it is a, a Marvel Girl story. I kind of like this one, and... Uh... I always like stuff without words, so I would have to agree with you. John Bolton's artwork does well, I think, here. I, I And I think it's because he's primarily drawing Marvel Girl. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you get, so you get this opening panel of a snowy street. I'm thinking that this is taking place before the whole Christmas day, maybe. Must be. Has to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. The story absolutely takes place just before the beginning of this very issue. And you got three panels of Marvel Girl walking towards something with the final panel close up of her face. And, you know, it's very kind of humdrum. You know, she's getting in their apartment. She's using her telekinesis to bring up her shopping bags and then moving them around uh, the apartment. In the foreground of the third, or I'm sorry, fourth panel of this issue, you see a candlestick with two candles in it. Mm-hmm. This will have significance, but I don't know what that significance is. Okay. <laughs> Marvel Girl is unpacking, and she looks very good in this first panel, I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got she's got uh, champagne, it looks like. In the next uh, panel, she's moving around a box of chips and a can of what must be sardines. I don't know. Cat food? <laughs> and what's this thing on the wall that says mutants? Bunch of weirdos who got the nerve to be born different from the rest of us slobs with the power and abilities far beyond those of normal men. Telekinesis. How those weirdos throw things around without using their hands or feet or any physical part of their body. It's all in their minds. Telepathy. How they read your minds, assuming, of course, you have one. Is that a poster on her wall? Yeah, I guess so. And it stands at the uh, initials there are MTT. I don't know if this is a call to something, because I don't recognize that. Yeah, I have no idea. The time is 6 o'clock. The clock alerts us that it's 6 o'clock, which is shower time, so Marvel Girl takes her top off. Hooray! <laughs> oh, but it's from the back. Uh, she's in the bathtub now, and she's all soapy soppy. It's now 6.30. She gets out of the bath, she dries her hair off, and observes a picture of her and Misty... I don't know, painting or wallpapering or something. <laughs> painting over wallpaper? <laughs> sure. And uh, the note here reads that uh, Misty is going to go away for the weekend. And she says, go for broke. P.S. Be ready. Be rude. Be happy. It'll be great. So Marvel Girl, she's going to get laid tonight. Jeez. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what the what's going on here. I don't think Scott Summers... 
uh, does that sort of thing, Jeremy. I don't I'm think – look, I don't think so either. <laughs> to this day, I don't think they've ever uh, – I take it back. There's one issue where I know for a fact that they've – they did it. Well, they had a kid for crying out loud. Let's hope they did it. Did, did, no, he and Madeline had a kid, but oh, the, well, the, oh that's right. <laughs> yeah, keep your redhead straight. Uh, well, they look the same. It, well, exactly. Well, actually, it's December twenty first. It says Scott dinner plus dot 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 question mark question mark. So maybe this is a few days before that Christmas uh, before this issue. I don't know. Good, good. She she puts on the dress that she wears in the in the issue, so. She does? Yeah. Well, the weird thing that happens before all that, she 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 puts on a record and she telepathically moves Scott's pants and jacket and sunglasses. Why she has this, I have no idea. <laughs> over to her and uh, the weird candle thing is in the background. And she starts dancing with a telekinetically made up ghost cyclops. Bizarre. Totally bizarre. She's hugging it. It's hugging her. <laughs> the alarm clock goes off. Not the alarm clock, but the big clock goes off again, so it must be seven. She walks into her bedroom, and she's got a poster of the Phoenix on the Carpet by E. Nesbitt. I don't know. Sure. So she's not in any hurry to get dressed, but she does go over to her bedside where she sees a poster. Not a poster, but a picture of her, I think, mother and father. Mm-hmm. And she's so embarrassed by the sin she's going to commit tonight that she puts it in the dresser drawer <laughs> and closes it. Why she even bothers to get dressed is a mystery to me. <laughs> well, she lays on the bed for a little while, and then she decides, well, am I going to wear the white dress? Am I going to wear the black dress? She picks the black dress, and now the clock reads 7 o'clock, which makes me wonder what the last set of bongs were, because it was 6, then 6.30, did the clock bong at 6.45? Oh, that's a weird, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, so whoever's editing this issue wasn't paying attention to anything. Well, Marvel Girl, she's still, like, it's been an hour, and she's still sitting at the makeup thing. She got her towel on. She's not really getting ready. Wait, then then it goes off again. Bong, it must go off every half hour. It does go off every half an hour, but this is the fifth set of bongs, so it should be... 8 o'clock, but it's 7.30. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But now I guess at 7.30, which is date time, the doorbell rings, and it's Cyclops, finally. And he blasts her. Oh, no, that's not what happens at all. And uh, Marvel Girl. She opens the door, and she's wearing her black dress, and they do a nice close-up shot where her nose disappears. Actually, her nose is gone for this whole page. Yeah, I don't think uh, John Bolton draws noses from the front. Yeah, it's very, like, 80s, uh, like, model art. This second panel could totally be, like, a Revlon ad picture. Well, they kiss, and they kiss, and they kiss, and then they end up on the floor, and they're naked, and they're, they're doing awful, awful things to one another. Oh wait, no, they don't. They just they just am kiss. I missing, am I missing a few pages? <laughs> oh yeah, I've got the director's cut. You don't even want to know what they're doing. Things are going out of places that they shouldn't be going into. It's disgusting. 
No, they uh, Marvel Girl puts her coat on and they go out, I guess, for their date, which I'm I guess is out to the Christmas tree with the rest of the X Men. Yeah, it's a great date. Well, you know, their date is actually the dinner. All right. So they're just meeting up with the X Men on the way. The candle, the candle flames go out and the smoke. Well, now did they go out or do they ignite? I think they ignite. Because nowhere in the book does she actually light these things. And if you keep going, the last panel you see like a flash around Gene uh, and Cyclops. And then, I don't, I mean, this is where it gets a little confusing. In the next panel, you hear a chaboom, which I guess must be a shockwave from the Sentinel that's potentially flying in the next panel. The first time I read it, I was under the impression that the Sentinels went to her apartment, but I guess not. It looks like her window just exploded. So I'm guessing that this apartment's pretty close to the fight that they had in the shockwave of the battle. Busted out her window, busted up the picture of uh, Scott and Marvel Girl, and knocked down the picture of the phoenix in the carpet to reveal in the last panel the phoenix. <laughs> because we didn't notice that before. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the the candle, I mean, the reason I mentioned it three times is because it's prominently positioned in the panel three times and in the last one it's lit and I, i'm not sure it's like the phoenix looking for her well i thought it was like a the fact that the smoke the two candles smoke bleed into each other i just thought it was like symbolism for scott and gene oh i'm sure it's totally symbolism for that but i don't know but i didn't think it meant anything other than that yeah. but but maybe yeah who knows I figured it was just like the Phoenix literally like, okay, it's about time, Gene. You going to get up in that spaceship? Come on now. Oh, that could be. I guess it could be the Phoenix that lit the candles and blew out the window. <laughs> uh, who knows? Probably never will know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Adam, whatever happened to the toad? Well, since you asked, Jeremy, well, let, let me take you back to a... a uh, an episode or an issue of the Avengers, number 75, the April 1970 issue. When last we saw Toad, I believe he was with uh, Larry Trask and um, Quicksilver and uh, Scarlet Witch. Am I, am I correct in assuming that? That's the last time I think I heard of him, yeah. Hey, Adam, do you know that as I think about it, I don't even think Toad was on that Wheel of Mutants from Captain America. No, I don't think he was. Okay. So, yeah, truly the last time we saw him was in Quicksilver's retelling of Larry Trask's adventure to the Avengers. Avengers. Mm-hmm. Carry on. When when he was like, I'm going to go off with these guys. Yay. Correct. Yep. So we enter into Avengers number 75, which has the title of The Warlord and the Witch. Uh, we see Jarvis Butler... Alone in the mansion, as essentially Quicksilver invades it, and he tells Jarvis, "Hey, I'm looking for my sister. Well, I'm looking for the Avengers because my sister's gone missing." Jarvis tells Quicksilver where the Avengers are, and Quicksilver does a little pinball thing here on the bottom of page three, where he just like starts bouncing off of things. Must have more speed, more. And a lot of Avengery things happen that we don't really care about. 
they're taking photos. Uh, Hank Pym and Janet Pym are going off on a, a voyage. And there's some talking about, like, I don't know about that Vision guy. He's so weird. Quicksilver shows up and attacks the Avengers promptly. Well, actually, the Avengers attack him, Hawkeye, in his uh, gig- gigantro phase. Or who is he? I have no idea. Goliath? Yes, Goliath. Hawkeye is Goliath at this time. And having his hot temper, he attacks Quicksilver unprovoked and... Quicksilver starts attacking the Avengers unprovoked. And then, you know, it's typical. A little misunderstanding, which eventually boils down to a, hey, this is just a misunderstanding. Let me tell you a story from the beginning. (laughs) Right. And that's where we get Toad. (gasps) Toad is with uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, and they are trying to figure out how to get Scarlet Witch's hex powers back. Did you know they were gone? I had no idea that they were gone. They must have disappeared in Avengers, I'm guessing. Sure, why not? Well, so they're looking through mystic tomes and libraries to try to figure out the secrets of her hex power, how to get them back, because Toad has a hunch that if they find the right book, they'll be able to get their powers back. They've combed all the libraries of Europe because that's where you want to go. Yeah, well, of course. Uh, Quicksilver's like, look, you're a mutant. You're not going to get your powers back from a book. But she feels that they're close. They had combed every library except for one, which Toad had forgotten until just now. (laughs) If you wish me to lead you there, you should follow me. Which they do. They He leads them to a little old man who brings them into his dungeon. Well, they go through a whole bunch of books and not find what they're looking for. Quicksilver's just about ready to give up when Toad's like, Ignore him, Wanda. We'll go on looking, just you and I. <laughs> yes, Toad, Toad has a secret love for Wanda. Quicksilver bumps a stone in the side of the wall, which reveals a secret book that throbs and glows. I had a problem like that once, but I put some cream on it, and it was just fine. Someone somewhere wanted me to find this volume, directed my hands to it. I shall put it back, seal it away before... No, Pedro! This is the book I've been looking for, I know it! I feel the same, Wanda, and perhaps that is why I wish to return it, yet do with it what you will. So Quicksilver's literally like, I don't want you to have your power, sister. <laughs> Not at this cost, is what he's trying to say. He feels it's going to be some sort of cost. Well, of course, there always is. Uh, but it is to be rich. See how the pages almost turn themselves. <laughs> so she reads some words. Let the time winds whip from world to world. Let them batter down all cosmic walls. Let the bold, brave banner be unfurled, and at last great Archon walk these halls. Something's happening here, which I do not know what it is. And that's when Archon shows up. Archon the Magnificent, who looks like Conan the Barbarian. I believe, is this the first appearance of Archon? I can I can verify that in exactly a few seconds. Yes, this is the first appearance of Archon. And Archon, he's a barbarian dude who's tall with lightning bolts uh, and a quiver, a quiver of lightning bolts, I should say. And uh, I think he has a shield, too. And he has come to take the Scarlet Witch away because he needs her. He needs a wife. He bests Toad and 
he actually zaps him with a lightning bolt, sending him away. Those javelins shaped like lightning bolts. What are you going to do with them? No, no, no. So Toad is, he's dead. He's been evaporated. There you go. That's what happened to Toad. You destroyed him, blasted him into nothing. He was already nothing. I merely made his form match his worth. Yet he is not gone, good Wanda, not in the way that you imagine. The golden bolt merely transported him to my world, where you and I shall now follow him, my weakened witch. We are in a flashback. We're in Quicksilver's flashback, and now... Archon is going to tell us of his flashback. So we're now flashback within a flashback. Yep. And apparently this flashback is I don't know the their world is always at war and some things are happening. Yeah, and uh suddenly things stop happening and they lose all sorts of power and the world goes dark and years go by where everybody starts dying and feeling all depressed because it's dark all the time. There's an old man here who's like Kind of like uh, Archon's Yoda, who's like, this is what you should do throughout this age of darkness. But uh, soon enough, uh, the things that survive on the light uh, begin to die. Therefore, the people begin to die. And... Right. Uh, many years later, I, I, I think it's many years later. Sure. They get some light. Which uh, we learn later, I'll just cut right to the chase, uh, comes from the United States fooling around with nuclear weapons. Oh, yeah, that's right. They've split the atom. And so the atomic blast uh, or tests, as it were, uh, somehow cut through the dimensional rift and provide them with a little bit of light. And whenever they get the light, uh, we should cut back a little bit. The darkness gives birth to a whole bunch of microbes, which are destroying Archon's life. And so the atomic blasts kind of send them away for a little bit. So Archon's all happy about that, that they're going to, that this people will war forever and it will sustain them. But the guy says, no, they, they, they make war with the power of the atom, but they yearn after peace. And if they cease their atomic blast, our world dies. The, the old master is guiding Archon back to Earth to uh, set, up a, set off a mammoth explosion. And uh, that will light their world for a while. Untold ages. Yeah, sure. But it'll destroy the Earth. We lack the knowledge to build such a weapon of destruction. But the Archon, he's like, bah. Uh, your mind is strong, old one, but your will is weak. I will find a way to cross the barrier uh, to Earth myself. So even though the old man knows what needs to happen, he just doesn't know how to get Archon to Earth. Which is where the magic words come in. If the magic words are spoken by mutants, creatures born of the atom's rampant power, then it makes Archon appear. That's kind of neat, I suppose, tying the whole nuclear radiation thing together. But still, how did he get a book from his dimension to our dimension? That doesn't make any sense. So they fight some more. Uh, he transports Wanda to his world. And then uh, Quicksilver tries to be like, oh, I better not evade his next arrow. But then he uses his arrow on himself and Quicksilver is alone. And the Avengers are like, oh, this story sounds like a crock. And then they, they see the TV that says, uh-oh, Archon's attacking. <laughs> Essentially. Captain America's like, Archon? We just heard a story about Archon. <laughs> Buddy, we believe you. 
Yay. And so off they go. Uh, but the TV announcer who shows pictures of Archon, who's, I don't know, attacking people now. I don't understand why. Is this his way of inciting a war? Well, he is attacking people that he needs. He he went straight into a conference of the top nuclear physicists, and he's blasting all these nuclear physicists back to his own world. But what really matters is that the man, Archon, whoever he is, wherever he is, now has in his power men of scientific genius, men whose combined knowledge could be used to destroy the very Earth itself. Next Zero Hour. So the next issue uh, really only features Toad in one panel, and it shows that Toad is being kidnapped, or, or he's being he's being held in chains in Archon's world, and he tries to serve Archon in the same way that he used to serve Magneto, but Archon refuses. Yeah, and I mean, if you were like just skimming through this, you you wouldn't even notice Toad. He's, he's featured so briefly there. Quick synopsis of what happens. Um, Archon tries to convince Scarlet Witch that she should be his wife. Mm-hmm. And she she kind of falls for it a little bit. But he, he doesn't tell her the absolute truth. He tells her that uh, maybe we don't need to destroy your world. I, maybe I found a way around it. But he goes ahead and is going to destroy the world anyway. And the Avengers manage to get over to Archon's world and Archon manages to get back to the Avengers world and they do battle and obviously the Avengers win. And I think uh, Archon sees the uh, error of his ways and says, woman, I don't want you to marry me because you feel forced to. Therefore, you are free or something like that. And she gets her powers back. The crossing of the Great Barrier has doubtless restored your mutant powers, as you shall learn for yourself. Still... It is no longer my wish that you marry me against your will. You taught me much, girl. Perhaps more than even I yet know. What? <laughs> Who knows? Perhaps another day, another hour, we shall speak of this again. He's gone. Uh, apparently he solved all of his problems with something called an atom sphere. So, Using Thor's hammer, they were able to replicate some sort of massive energy. That gives them Archon's world his power. The son of Odin shall find a home for this deadly toy in the Black Sea of Space. I think they're referring to the Atom Sphere. Good, but what do you hide beneath your cloak, my sister? It is nothing, Petro. Nothing at all. Must be a flower that he gave her. Yeah, it's the flower that he gave her. Yeah. So that doesn't really answer what happened to Toad. I guess he's stuck in Archon time. Yeah, I guess we'll have to tune in next issue to figure out what did happen to Toad. Tune in next week and maybe we'll have answers for you. And with that and everything else we've brought to you, Adam, do you have any final thoughts? No, let her rip. Until next time, the danger room is closed. (laughs) 